dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. If you are familiar with me or this podcast, you know how much I love Spanish wine. Today, I am sharing a recording about the wines of Jumilla. The Great Spain match was held in Little Spain in New York City. It was a perfect location to celebrate the wines of this super autonomous region. Although the majority of the wine is produced in the Murcia Dio, vineyards are also found in Castilla-La Mancha. The region experiences a continental climate with Mediterranean influences and is located on the Altiplano Range. The vineyards are up to 2,600 feet above sea level, and 96% of the wines are red, primarily Monastrell. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Did you know you can do it right now while you're listening? New ratings and reviews are how the algorithms decide to suggest podcasts to other listeners. Don't forget to add your email address to a website to keep up on all things exploring the wine glass. Slancha. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, someday service, champagne and Clotheron specialist, and a WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. You are special to very, very... ...to be here with you today in New York City, in Little Spain market. Um, I hope that this seminar uh, gives you a great overview of media wines, of our precious wine region, and of course that you uh, love the wines you're going to taste with Evan and me. And as he said, uh, any questions, uh, please feel free to ask them or later at the bar C, we'll be happy to continue the, the discussion. So, okay, let's start first of all to locate us uh, where we are. Uh, for some of you, Mia is uh, uh, maybe a mystery region. So for some of you, I know that some of you have been there, uh, visit us already. Um, Humilla lies uh, in the middle of La Mancha Plateau on the way to the Mediterranean. We are close to the coast, but yet inland, 60 miles inland, which uh, gives us a very differentiated climate and terroir um, and growing conditions. Um, we are close to the coast, as I said, but we are also high altitude. Um, we are a high altitude plateau. Um, with rolling hills all around the, the area, uh, which gives us great benefits for different microclimates and sun exposures and different slopes and, and different altitudes for our vines. Um, the DO is uh, quite a big DO in terms of surface, but uh, it's only seven towns uh, included in the, in the DO. Uh, this is just uh, something particular from this area of Spain where towns are big in terms of surface. Uh, we share uh, the territory between two regions in Spain, the region of Castilla-La Mancha with the province of Albacete 
and with the region of Murcia. Uh, this is quite a special situation for a DO in Spain. There are only other two DOs that share this condition, Rioja and Cava. And this is due to, uh, well, because Jumilla is actually uh, quite a, um, an old DO and when it was um, created, uh, these two regions were, weren't actually differentiated. But well, that's politics and the, the, just, just not talk about that. <laughs> um, with, with this seminar, I would like to go over, well, some key elements that really make our region quite unique, uh, such as tradition, terroir, of course, our magical landscape, the human factor, and of course, our very beloved monastrel variety. Tradition. Tradition, uh, of course, you know, has Spanish wines, uh, wine regions, they have a long history. Um, but I would like to really highlight how Jumilla is uh, actually home to one of the oldest archaeological remains of grape seeds, of Vitis vinifera grape seeds um, in the world. Uh, this findings. Uh, Confirmed the five, 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 sorry, five thousand year old grape seeds found uh, near Jumilla town. Um, they date from three thousand before Christ. So, well, uh, this is just something amazing that I like to highlight every everywhere I go because it, this means that grapes, Vitis yeah. uh, vinifera grapes for wine, have been grown for over five thousand years in Jumilla. Um, then, of course, the different civilizations that have lived in the area, all linked to the Mediterranean, of course, uh, from the Iberian civilization, to the Greeks, to the Phoenicians, um, to the Romans, of course, where the, the grapes and uh, vineyards and winemaking bloomed, of course. Um, then, of course, the Muslim domination for 800 years in the area was huge. Uh, during this time, wine was still made, despite one, what uh, one might think uh, about uh, alcoholic drinks in, in the Muslim religion. Um, then, the real um, booming of the of the of the wine sector uh, began in the early 20th century, when Philoxera devastated European vineyards. And uh, well, they had to well, importers, uh, wine merchants had to find wine wherever they could, and they came down to Humilla because uh, luckily a, a region uh, was kind of an oasis for the for grapes to survive, and Phylloxera didn't really spread out much in the region, so uh, it was one oasis for grapes and for winemaking. Um, so wine merchants came to Jumilla looking for our wines, and especially the French, uh, kind of industrialized in a way uh, the wine sector of the region. And uh, that's when, well, Jumilla wine came from something more of a house thing to a uh, real industry. Then, um, in the 1960s, uh, the DO was officially created and the Regulatory Council, which I represent, was created. And uh, this 
wine industry was, of course, more linked to bulk wine, but in the past 25 years, there has been a very uh, impressive work by winemakers and by wineries, and the shift has now been total to 100% bottled wines. Now, talking more about our very distinct and unique terroir, I'd like to to um, show you how our climate is being close to the Mediterranean. It has a very distinct continental uh, aspect. Uh, the summer can be very hot, of course, but the winters are really cold with uh, usual frosts, with uh, usual snows in the month of uh, January and February, and uh, with its average temperature of 60 degrees. It has semi-arid conditions, it rains really, really, really poorly in Jumilla, only under 20, 12 inches per year, um, especially this year we've lived like the whole country and the whole continent of Europe, uh, quite severe drought. Um, but well, luckily our vines are more adapted than other places in, in Spain, so um, the harvest is going to be really lower, but not as desperate, desperately lower as other parts of Spain. Um, apart from this scarce and irregular rainfall, we have strong winds that keep the vines healthy. Uh, we have morning fog, uh, sorry that refresh uh, the plants as well, especially in the very hot uh, mornings of, uh, of summer days. And uh, where we like to call us, of course, the wines of the sun, thanks to these over 3,000 hours of sunlight, uh, sunshine per year. Regarding our altitude and our soils, um, as I said before, we lay on a high plateau over three, 13,000, sorry, 1300 feet above sea level. Um, the, this is the lowest area of the, of the, of the deal, but it can go as high as 2,900 feet, uh, above sea level, feet above sea level. And, uh, the many, many mountain ranges that cross and rolling hills that cross the region uh, gave us a very nice variability of slopes and exposures and soil types. Um, the geology of our mountains is uh, mostly limestone, so our soils are mostly calcareous and with stony limestone-based crust, but we can find many sandy soils on the bottom of the valleys uh, well, this was because uh, the, the region millions and millions of years ago was covered by a sea, the Tetis Sea, and the sandy soils is also one of the re reasons, sorry, why Phylloxera didn't spread out in the region, because you know how this bug doesn't like at all sandy soils, and this together with the big spacing between vines, well, this just doesn't help the bug to, to get, uh, well, to live well in the area. Um, also, on a, like a very interesting note about Humilla is that we have some small uh, volcanic areas. Um, so we have some volcanic soils and some wines. Not tasting today, but 
one day I hope that you'll taste them. So we have uh, three or four different wines in the region that are made from these volcanic vineyards. Um, however, the, the soils, as I said, are mostly calcareous, uh, very good drainage, high calcium content, um, and area. There are over 55,000 acres of vineyard in the region, mostly traditionally bush vine uh, conduction, um, very little trellish vines, uh, mostly for the uh, foreign varieties that have been in, planted in the, in the region for the last uh, 40 to 30 years. And now, a word from our sponsor. Dracaena Wines loves to give back. There are so many fur babies that deserve to find their forever home. We would love to be able to help as many as possible. If you are part of a nonprofit organization or know of a nonprofit organization that would like to hold a fundraiser, please contact us at contact at DracaenaWines.com or visit our website, DracaenaWines.com, to fill out the form. How does the fundraiser work? It is super simple and costs your group absolutely nothing. Together, we will choose a month that your group will be sponsored. During the month, you promote the fundraiser just like any other event you'd hold. At the end of the month, we will donate 20% of the sales to your organization. The donations will be made in the name of each individual who purchased the wine so that you know exactly who helped the animals. Our goal is to raise as much funds as we possibly can and to help as many animals as possible. So please help us help as many fur babies as we possibly can. So the, the vineyard is mostly dry farm, non-irrigated. Uh, depends only on the little uh, scarce uh, rainfall that falls every year. So the vines are highly adapted to drought and thus climate change. Of course, it's something that worries us and we're, well, uh, all uh, trying to figure out how to um, adapt to the varying conditions of, in terms of temperature, especially. But in terms of, um, of uh, drought, well, for the moment, uh, especially Monastrell is highly adapted to this lack of, of, of water. Um, this all, these conditions they make for very, very low yields, uh, as little as 4 to 4.5 pounds per bush vine, and especially with older vines and engrafted vines, that uh, it's one of the true heritages of Comilla. We have over 1,000 acres of <laughs> Yeah, uh, so just a couple of things to add, some ahas for you to think about, and that was very thorough. I'm seeing that she covered this, she covered that, she covered everything. It's great. <laughs> a, a few things. First of all, Humillo was pulled out of a Cracker Jack box. Um, the Appalachian, as you know, has been around since 1966, but it's only recently that people have A, begun to discover it, B, that there's really been a push towards quality, quality towards bottled wines, towards domain wines, not just purely co-op wines. Second of all, don't underestimate this sort of raised plateau with the proximity to the water that she's talking about. For all of us who are from California, where I am, we consider like super high altitude to be like 1,800 feet, where Spray Mountain is. The vineyards here start at 1,000 feet and go upwards to 3,000 plus. 
high thermal amplitude or diurnal exchange. Those extremes in temperature differences elongate the growing season, are very helpful in, in more arid conditions and drought conditions, and allow for phenolic development without sugar development. So having that altitude in concert with those temperatures is a very powerful thing. It's also important that she points out that the fog is there, because we don't think about it, we only think of precipitation, but there is a certain amount of absorption that goes through the leaves and things like that. So moisture is actually pulled from the air, and by the way, from the ground. We don't talk about ground moisture as well, too. The fog actually contributes to, drought, to, um, fog, to ground moisture, and ground moisture is really important if you're from Kansas, Missouri, or somewhere in the Midwest where the ground moisture is drying up and you're going to become Arizona in the next 30 years, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The last thing I would point out, in addition to what she was talking about with the water, is that uh, chalky soils, broken down limestone, etc., is very good for water retention. So although you have sands and a lot of porosity, you do have the ability to retain water as well, which is important. And then finally, last but not least, this combination of arid temperature and all the things, the high altitude, et cetera, are the absolute perfect conditions for organic viticulture, something I know she's gonna talk about later. And for all of us for whom sustainability and organics are increasingly important, Umiya is a really good place to source your wine. So, voila. Thank you, I absolutely agree with everything you've said. And, and true, I'm going to talk to you about organic. Some of the wines you're going to taste or are already tasting are organic. And uh, yeah, I'm going to that. Well, all of what I've talked about is really the reason why Humilla is a haven for organic agriculture. I mean, uh, growers have worked organically without knowing it was organic, you know, before the term organic was even implemented. Uh, for, for hundreds of years and well now of course certification is a key element for um, for marketing as well so uh, certified uh, vineyards and certified wineries in organic are, are really on, on demand now. Um, just uh, something that really uh, I think it's something that you're going to really I hope you feel when you drink this the wines is um, the Humilla wines are also wines for their um, very linked to their habitat, to their landscape, to the very true Mediterranean plants and shrublands and, and trees that uh, that all grow around the the area, um, like uh, rosemary, thyme, oregano, spartagrass, which uh, actually was a huge industry uh, some some years ago in the area. And, and when you visit the region, you really get the, this Mediterranean um, aura all around and uh, the, 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 the combination of the vineyard, the olive groves and the almond trees are just something very unique and very powerful for our eyes and for all our senses, of course. So here's there's some examples of this. Uh, high mountains that surround all the the, the area and some of the one of the vineyards are planted on the lower parts such as this picture they're also on the slopes and higher altitudes and well Kumiya wouldn't be what it is uh, just because of the terroir and the vines you only of course you need the human factor and you need to, the, the, the love and care and hard work of the over of 1,600 vine growers. 
and of course the, the work of the, of the wineries, they all combine tradition and innovation and uh, share uh, their passion for the traditional bush vine and non-irrigated vineyards and highlight, of course, the work of the regulatory council that I represent because we are in charge of, uh, of course, defending the name of Humilla, of promoting everywhere we go, but most importantly of quality control, of origin certification, and that's, uh, well, that's our main duty and we work as hard as we can to um, to guarantee consumers that the wines you're drinking have this uh, really strict quality control measures and that they follow all the regulations put in place by the same wine growers and wineries who of course are the ones who make up for the deal. The deal is made from growers and wineries together. Um, and now we'll just talk about our really, uh, the queen, the queen of grapes in Jumilla, Monastrel. Monastrel, known of course as Morbedre and Mataró here, I believe, in California especially. Um, Monastrel is our very, our very true jewel in Jumilla. It covers over 75% of the vineyard. It's our very indigenous variety. It's the best adapted grape to our weather, our climate conditions, sorry, and our soils and the, everything I've talked about before. Um, drought, uh, thanks to this severe adaptation to the, the hard conditions of, of Humilla, uh, this year's harvest is going to be, I think, a 20% maybe, maybe 25% lower than normal which is not that much given the, the hard circumstances of this, especially the summer. Um, and Morbedre, uh, Monastrel is the name I'd like, to, I'd like you all to, to leave this seminar today. Monastrel, Monastrel from Humilla. Uh, really delivers wines with strong personality. Here you have um, seven out of the eight wines are Monastrel based. Some of them are 100%. Some of them are nicely blended with um, with some foreign, let's say, French uh, and Spanish varieties, which have so adapted really well to to our special terroir. And then you have a hundred percent Syrah, I believe, which is uh, is a Syrah Jumillana, which I like to call. Uh, it's very different to the Rome Syrah, and uh, has been also adapted really, really well to our terroir. So, but Monastrel, of course, is the, 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 the shining star in the region, um, the, the, the variety to which we all hold very strongly because we feel very linked to its power and to its uh, huge potential in, in international markets like here in the, in the USA, in New York City. As I said, there are other grapes that are uh, included in our technical file, eight reds and eight whites. Some of them are more indigenous than others, like for example, uh, Garnacha, Garnacha Tintorera in reds, or Airen, Macabeo, or Moscatel in whites. But we have uh, throughout the years included some other varieties which uh, have really uh, uh, show a great potential and a great, uh, good adaptation to our weather, our climate conditions and, and soils. 
and of course which are very uh, demanded in, in international markets and uh, let's not forget that apart from uh, making the wine one needs to sell it and to sell these amazing wines well why not blend for example this uh, our, um, jewel that we have Monastrel with Cabernet Sauvignon or with Syrah for example and as Evan pointed out well we have the best conditions I'd like to I like to say in Spain for organic agriculture not only for grape uh, for vineyard but uh, all of the other crops that are growing are grown in Comilla are certified organic over 70% of the vineyard is certified and the rest that is not certified is mostly organic although uh, not certified yet or undergoing the certification uh, process the natural conditions are just ideal for organic farming the absence of <laughs> humidity which can be well of course it can be difficult for uh, yields it's just great for healthy vines for no need to use uh, pesticides or anything like that um, the dry farming, the bush vines, well, they make for the best, the best for organic uh, growing. Um, Jumilla's certification in organic has been one of the first in Spain over 15 to 20 years ago. They started certifying their wines. And it's not only organic, it's sustainability in general, sustainable management with very low use of inputs uh, from chemicals to plowing to uh, just some manure from the indigenous also um, sheep and goats that uh, live in the area and, and no irrigation, no chemicals, so it's very low uh, inputs and uh, make for the best of, and the healthiest environment possible which is just great for our natural uh, biodiversity and the natural flora and fauna of the area. And just to give you Big overview, a, a very sorry, a short, <laughs> very short overview. But Ahomia is really uh, export oriented. Uh, almost 70% of the production goes to export markets, being the USA actually, our main market, uh, followed by Germany, China, UK, and Canada. So huge uh, wine consumers in the world. And um, as you see today, all of the wines we're tasting are red, and that's just really coherent with uh, the amount of red production, of red wine production, sorry, that we produce in the area, which is over 90% of the overall production. And I'm just going to shut up now and leave <laughs> you to Evan to taste, because I, I, I could just go on and no. on, and, and, and we're here, here also to enjoy the wines. And Thank you, Carolyn, and, and that's a fabulous overview to the region, too. I hope that you um, are excited. If you don't know who Mia, you should be excited. This is a template for our future uh, as the world dries up, as the world becomes more like Humia, particularly in um, other wine-producing regions. Humia is indeed a model uh, going further, forward, both in terms of how they vinify organic sustainability, great choices that make sense for the environment, wine styles that make sense for the people, and thinking forward. So if you haven't become a fan of Humia, an FOJ, you should be, and this tasting is our uh, way of, of, of helping you do that. So with everything Carolina just said in mind, a couple of thoughts. First of all, before we start tasting, which we're going to do, you do have a little bit of a food component there, not that they're not gonna feed you today, but everybody has a little corneta, 
in front of them, and I just wanted to go through what you have in your corneta um, so that you know as you're sort of breaking it down. Um, on the very top of it, because we love you, because you rate well, you have some jamón, but it's jamón ibérico. It's not serranos. You get quote-unquote the good stuff, not that serrano isn't good, but ibérico is nice, obviously coming from Iberian pigs in southwestern um, Spain and southeastern Portugal, um, and eating acorns all the time. Cool pigs eating acorns, aged for somewhere between 18 and 48 months. I mean, how could it not be good? So enjoy your jamón. And then on top of that, we have three cheeses that are layered, one on top of the other. And they start at the top with Murcia. Murcia de Nino uh, is a goat cheese uh, made with uh, red wine wash. Uh, it is of the region. Uh, it is of the Murcian goat. The Murcian goat, if you've ever seen them, is one that does extremely well in hot, dry climates. It um, is very productive. It's adapted for the climates. It puts out one gallon of milk a day. So if you've seen these big goats carrying around all this weight and wondering how do they do it, they get milked a lot. And they make a lot of cheese there. But the cheese itself goes back to the 80s. Um, it probably is true that somebody accidentally dropped a bag. In addition to being pure, fresh, clean, etc., um, it's made with native fermentation, so it's really all about its place, expressive of the variety, etc., and again, stainless steel, still a little bit crunchy, nice acids, but again, it's a warm area, so they're not piercing on you, and just delicious. But the concept of this wine, which is very true throughout Mia, is a concept called uh, terraje, which is to say that old vineyards are rented by wineries, and you literally, essentially, manage the vineyard, rent the vineyard from uh, the vineyard holder, they do what you want, they grow the fruit, and in return you give a percentage back to them, which I presume you can give to them in grapes, wine, money, whatever they prefer, uh, roughly 7%. So it preserves uh, the patrimony of vineyards moving forward, it preserves old vines, it ensures people have work, it ensures the farmers are taken care of, and it's a system I wish we would actually develop here in the country. Delicious wine, great kickoff, and one that, by the way, because it's a stainless steel, it's not uber tannic and it's vinified in a very approachable way. Throw that in a nice bucket for 10 minutes at the beginning of the summer. You'll be a very, very happy camper. Yeah, no, the ABV on this wine is 13 and a half. So it's really, it's very approachable, not super tannic, not overly alcoholic. And um, I, well, I wouldn't call it a porch pounder. I could do that, you know, never on. All right, let's move on to the second wine. A uh, second wine is from La Bodega Ceron. Uh, this is a wine they called uh, La Servile 2021. It comes specifically from the Fuente Alamo zone, and it comes from higher altitude vineyards, as you can see in your slide there, at over 3,000 feet. Once again, I consider high altitude to be 1,800 feet, so you get the additions of that, the brighter acid, the crisper, the longer growing season. This is a wine that is 96% Monastrel or Morvedra, and 4% other. Let me tell you about the other, because rather than being international grapes, this wine shows respect to the locality. Uh, the primary blending grape here is one called Blanquilla, B-L-A-N-Q-U-I-L-L-A, also known as Velocia, uh, which is a local grape, um, vines that are older. Going from that, there's another one called Moravia Agria, which comes from La Mancha originally, which is done well. Again, the proximity to La Mancha is very close by. And then a third grape called Mojal. So this is all local grape. This is all truly, if you think about Rhone being Rhone blend, this is a Pumia blend of all local grapes. I think the wines add even 4% adds complexity here. And coming off of the first wine, brilliantly placed. It actually allows you to see what these other grapes do within it. 
Uh, this, uh, this wine has spent about a dozen years, dozen months rather, in Fudulas, 500 liters, most of them used, unfined, unfiltered, and comes from a family that's been in winemaking for some time. Uh, the Sedan family has been cultivated since the late 1800s. Uh, they're in multiple uh, generations now. This relationship has uh, passed on, passed on, passed on, and rather than selling all of their fruit, which is very traditional in Spain in 2004, consistent with what uh, Catalina was saying about moving towards bottled wine, that they have moved over towards bottled wine, and uh, their uh, primary uh, working with family, uh, Lucia and Carlos siblings, uh, Juanjo Sebran uh, is the fourth generation making the wines today. And just to add an anecdote, La Servil, the name, comes from, that's the name of the, of the plot, where the, the band, the, the graves come from. And La Servil means that, that uh, how can I say, that they always, it's a plot that always delivered. You know, because this field blend means that every year, no matter how the vintage came, the climate, the weather conditions, they're always the the plot always delivered. The, so, so it's a kind of an homage also to how this plot was kept by their and um, taken care by the grandfathers, grand, grand grandmother, right. um, because it always delivered. It, it, it was a, a plot that was really generous in a way. So, so technically, this is a Vino Vipacay. This is a single. This is a single yes. vineyard wine. So if you're following all your logic these days, the whole idea of individual vineyards being recognized for, especially for quality, not purely for marketing. Uh, this is a great vineyard of, of, of the patrimony of a vineyard over time. What's very interesting here is how those other varieties really pop. Most of you probably had more vendor before. You're familiar with, I don't know, Bandol or something like that. You use the sort of like that cracked black peppercorn element of it, which you don't really get in the first wine, but pops in the second wine. And I really actually believe that's a combination of vinification, obviously a little bit of large barrel, but also the other varieties bringing forward that very sort of spicy uh, character up to the forefront. And again, even though you're expecting this wine to be sort of a monster wine, it really isn't. It's quite tame. Uh, it's quite delicious. I don't have the, uh, the alcohol on it. Their faction was necessarily that giving there, but it doesn't come off as hot. It doesn't come off as, as uh, too big. Um, and it's again, a very delicious wine. It would be around 14 to 14.5. Yeah, which is, yeah. doesn't feel like it at all. And you know, and by the way, for those of you who are going, doesn't feel like it. You can have 16.5% Zinfandel. It doesn't taste hot if the winemaker knows what the hell they're doing. So let's move on to wine number three. Um, and by the way, wine number two, you're lucky to have it. We had some issues with customs and we managed to squeak it through. Yeah, it's quite a miracle that we are tasting this wine today. Really, so really single miracle. vineyard, single miracle. Wine number three uh, is a wine from uh, Bodegas Luzon. This is called the Altos uh, de Luzon wine. It is a 100% monastra, 100% organic, also coming from a single plot. So not only single vineyard, or vino de pajare, but a plot within your vineyard called the Melera plot, which is a four, over 40-year-old dry-farmed plot within that. Comes from the sub-zone of Venta de Alto, the Huerto, uh, vineyards at about 2,200 feet, so once again, strong thermal amplitude. Uh, but some of, not too much, a uh, combination of French and American. And this is a, a winery that actually is uh, indeed cooperative based. Um, it dates back to 1916 when a handful of growers and winemakers got together to sort of start the roots, 
the initiations of that, and it has been growing um, upwards over time, expanding till it hit sort of its apogee at about 2,000, which is where it is today. They have about 1,500 acres of vineyards, uh, primarily in Monastrao, but I think very much speaks to classic farming, bushfire winemaking, etc. Actually, the name of Luzon, which is the name of the winery, Bodegas Luzon, comes from the original uh, first owner of the of the winery of the state who came from the Philippines, you know, how the Philippines 200 years ago were under Spanish uh, domination. And Luzon is uh, an island of Philippines. And when the, this uh, uh, Jumillano came back to his town, to his hometown, to Jumilla, he wanted to pay homage also to, to where he had uh, lived for so, much, for so long, to the, in the Luzon island in the Philippines, so, so far away. And, uh, and yeah, that's where the, the, the name comes from. And actually they have now launched a new uh, brand under the name of Origin, Origin of Luthon, which is also a tribute to this 200-year-old uh, link to the Philippines. No. Yeah, and the Philippines, by the way, for those of you who have wanted some trivia stuff, you can play on Trivia Night. Largest um, importer of sherry outside of uh, Spain outside of Spain is the Philippines. It's a huge Spanish wine market, and particularly a huge sherry market, and a place that equally loves roasted pig uh, a lot too. So it makes sense that they share that, and that's something you didn't know before you walked in. What's interesting here is how you can start to see the oak playing in, or that sort of signature of many parts of Spain, a little bit of the vanilla that comes in from the American oak, a little bit of spiciness coming in from the French oak as well too, layered, I think, very well on top of uh, the quality of fruit. A little bit more generosity in this wine, sits at about 14.5% alcohol, but also quite creamy, a little bit of bite of tannin in the end, but delicious and uh, very umiana, as, as they would say. So Organic too, so the three, three of the, the three wines we've tasted are organic. Absolutely. Very cool. Let's move on to wine four, sensitive to your time and the fact that you've got other wines there too. Uh, this comes from a great, uh, a great family-owned producer and a powerhouse within Spain, and particularly uh, within the area of Morcenonia, and that is from the Van Gil, a winery. This is their silver label wine, uh, 2019. Um, they are, again, fourth-generation, family-owned winery, uh, and they are also, a lot of you may not be familiar with everything they do, but they make a couple of wines called Amigo and Clio, which are effectively cult wines within the local area, as well as offering wines that are more um, everyday drinking, enjoyable, something like that. This wine sits sort of in the middle. Uh, this comes from very, very old dry farmed uh, vineyards and uh, comes off chalky soils and non-irrigated vines, stainless steel, fermented, from finished in oak, 50% alcohol, a little bit more generosity, um, but really, um, I think very much where the, that sort of sweet spot of what Carolina was talking about before, of where modernity and heritage meet together. Uh, Juan Gil does a wonderful job in that regard. And um, like I said, uh, does that for a long time. The last thing that's sort of interesting, again, as modernity hits tradition, is they um, literally go through, and they have an optical sorting machine, so literally they go through grape cut by grape, pull things out, pull out the raisins, make sure everything is doing well, and their wines are pristine and precise. And I think you can say that about everything they make. This winery, together with uh, Luzon, uh, the previous one, are both uh, certified under the um, certification of wineries for climate action. 
there are only, I think, there are only a handful uh, wineries in Spain certified with this um, climate change certification. So that they are very, very um, uh, well working very hard to adapt their um, their wineries to have like zero emissions and and well contribute the best they can to climate change fight. Yeah. What's interesting here, again, is we sort of move back and forth because, I mean, obviously all the wines are, are rich and generous and powerful. This wine sort of pulls that sweet spot of, again, lifting a little bit of that peppery character that we talked about before, but it's also more floral uh, than the other ones, a lot of blue, blue and purple flowers uh, in the wine. And you also find, I don't know, in France they call it garrigue, you know, that thing of the Rhone that is sort of like underbrush and herbs and all of those other things. They don't have that special spartan grass that we were talking about before. But I don't know if there's a term in, in Spain that's used that's like the equivalent of what the Rhone people would call garrigue, or is there a garrigue term or whatever. But it's a very interesting, and you pick a note of that up in this wine too. So if you were to imagine what Rhone garrigue would taste like in Spain, that's it. That's that undercurrent of wine. It picks up on that sort of scrub brush, herbal, local grasses thing, along with the floral, along with the fruit, along with that, and, and just precisely, brilliantly architected wine. So in, in Spanish we call it balsamico, but I don't think I'm not no. sure in English that yeah. term is equally. Yeah, no, balsamico has so many other elements to it. It's not that. So we'll just call it um, scrub brush, underbrush, curry. We'll just embrace that term. All right, let's move on to wine five. So this will be the first wine um, in the front row to you on the far left. And this is the wine from uh, Familla Pacheco. This is a wine called Barica. Barica, appropriately named because the wine is uh, spent some time in um, in oak. And, uh, oh, I moved my, I, I moved my order friends. I changed my orders here. Uh, and the wine's 14.5% alcohol. Uh, this is a blend of Monastrel, but as Carolina pointed out before, some of these grapes are sort of playing with this uh, tip of the, uh, the hat, tip of the straw hat, to other parts of the world. So this wine has Cabernet Sauvignon in it, it has Syrah in it as well, too. And what's interesting is the wines are, the grapes are vinified differently. So all the Monastrel is non-irrigated, traditional bush vines, goblet, etc. The Syrah and Cabernet are trellised. Uh, they use a little bit of drip irrigation, sort of add this thing, so it's sort of, again, once where old meets new, where modern meets uh, all of that. The, um, the uh, specific subzones are different as well, too, with the Syrah and Cabernet uh, coming from a different altitude, different plot than the old vine Monastrel comes to. All of the wines are assembled together. They spend about five months in 300 uh, liter oak, older oak, a second and third use on it. And this is again coming from the original 42 acres of organically cultivated wines that they uh, that they have. Uh, the winemaker's name is uh, Elena, Pina Elena, that makes sense. Um, and she's been doing a really good job over time uh, showing how she can express individuality of Monastrel, showing it with other varietals, etc. This winery is actually located in the southeast the, 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 sorry, the area more to the south of the Dio with the lowest altitude. But as you pointed out, Elena likes to, um, to play and study Monastrel at its best. And she's uh, also working on this collection of wines from different plots all around the Dio in different altitudes and soils uh, called Brumas, the collection of Brumas. Um, and they're 100% monastery wines, which I invite you to try because it's really uh, uh, like a like a, a thesis, a, 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 a real hard 
study on monastrel expression at different uh, altitudes and different soils. And this is truly a family affair. I don't let Elena take all of the credit. Her mother helps out, her sisters help out, but it's an all-female team, which I think in this day and age is really cool and really happening, and it expresses the wine beautifully. Uh, barica, interestingly enough, speaks probably to the barrel, right? To the barica, the, the size of the barrels and everything that they're talking about. So the next wine is, you know, that, that, that old adage of uh, Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the other, one of these things just doesn't belong. Uh, this is the 100% uh, Syrah that Carolina referred to the other day. This is from Bodegas Carcello. Uh, the wine is called Altico. It is a 100% Syrah. It comes from a vineyard, a single vineyard, so again, a Pajare or a Viniero Singular. Uh, it comes off of the north slope of the Sierra del Carche, limestone swales. 12 months in small French barrique, um, and is treated very much in a different, more international vein, but still screams Spain to me, and actually uh, screams the area there. What's very interesting about it, perhaps what you could, as we're tasting the wine, allude to it, is is this wine, technically by being 100% Syrah, is it an appellation, is it a PDO Jumia wine, or does it carry an IG because of the fact that it's 100% non-native variety? No, uh, no, no, even. Uh, you don't need to be hundred or monastrel based to be humilla video. I mean, anything can be exactly. Of course, in inclusive culture, we like that. We are. We are very democratic, and we like to include everyone, especially if they do amazing wines like uh, Atico here. This is, uh, well, I think, it's actually the only single variety Syrah we have in the in the deal. So I think it's a, also a brave. Uh, wine for, for some to, to have in Jumilla, where it's the land of Monastrel, right? There you go, there you go. And what's interesting here, what's, what, what makes sense, sort of very much the way the Portuguese would blend Alicante Boucher with Syrah de Alentejo, here it makes sense for the territory, it makes sense as a complementary grape when you're thinking again the spiciness of Syrah, the spiciness of Monastrel, the grapes that you have in the region. It doesn't feel out of place. And in fact, if somebody just handed you this tube wine and said, Jumilla, Probably think it was more better. Probably think it was more stout. Although the profile obviously is somewhat different um, and has a sort of slightly different peppery element to it. Also, the tannins are a bit grippier in the wine, a little bit more astringent by nature. Obviously, it's a wine that not only craves food. Recommend you take this glass to the paella bar when you're done. But also, wine that is a vent guard. It's a wine that the guard that I put it aside for a while. And an interesting thing to try um, if you haven't had pure Syrah. From Humia before, this would be sort of a semi-unicorn wine, right? Absolutely. When we play with it. So, moving on to our, our seventh wine here. Uh, this is a wine um, called uh, Goru, uh, made from the uh, Ego, Bodegas Ega. It is uh, Monestrel, uh, blended with again Syrah, Petit Verdot. Uh, it's more generous wine, it's about 15% alcohol. Uh, it's a selection of their best grapes, so literally a plot selection, varietal selection within that. Uh, 50 years old, low, low, uh, low yielding vines, not unusual in the Appalachian, uh, and vineyards that are almost approaching 3,000 feet. So you get extremes of that. I think you'll taste it certainly not only in the generosity of the alcohol, but in the, the, the refreshing nature of how the wine comes off, the freshness there. 19 months in a combination of French and American, a smaller oak, uh, and a very sumptuous wine. I mean, I think that I was expecting more power and more angularity in the wine is, is, uh, is sort of sumptuous or sort of ethereal in that regard. 
Um, Santos Ortiz is the uh, winemaker of Spanish origin. His business partner and uh, winemaking partner is a woman by the name of Iona uh, Panoescu, who's from Romania. Uh, and they started this winery from scratch in 2011. And they farm uh, 25 acres of 50-year-old plus vines organically. They're located actually relatively close to the uh, village town. City of Humia? It's not that big. It is. It is that big? Okay, city of Humia. Humia town, Humia world. Um, Humillanos three... like to call it Pueblo, but Pueblo. I mean, coming from Madrid, it's actually a small city. Okay, and it gives you a different approach. And again, sort of the outsider sensibility towards looking at a great uh, with a different set of eyes, and a fresh set of eyes, you're having a Spanish partner. So truly an international wine in that regard, and another fun take. Anything else to add on this one? Well, this is a really uh, a winery that will be studied, I think, in in marketing schools, because it's, it's only 10-year-old winery, and they've done an amazing job with, of course, great uh, raw material. They bought the some of the best plots in Jumilla, they source all their grapes from amazing plots in Jumilla and in only 10 years, well, what they have achieved is just amazing, yeah. amazing. And, and what's really amazing here, and I, and I said sumptuous for region, the mouthfeel on this wine is spectacularly good. You have grip, you have tannin, you have the ability to age, but there's almost a creaminess, a ga to the wine, which I think is unique within the other cultures, not dependent purely on the oak, obviously respecting the vinification there, and making the wine just very sort of seductive, inviting, delicious, all those other good things. Must be the Romanian in them, right? Bringing that to the, uh, to the table. And last, but certainly not least, we want to finish with a little treat. Uh, with you, we're staying in the land of Monastrel, uh, we're staying in the land of Mumia, but we're giving you a sweet wine. Uh, and for a lot of you, if you jumped ahead a little bit earlier, whoa, what's going on here? And this is a Monastrel Dolce, Dolce being the word for sweet, in Spanish, 2017 vintage from uh, uh, the Bodegas Olivares. Uh, this is one that comes off of, again, a single plot of sandy and chalky soils called the Oya Santa Ana. A vineyard and it's made only a couple of times a decade. This is not a wine that's made every year. You need the conditions to be correct. The fruit of quality needs to be correct. The harvesting needs to be correct. And then this wine is made by a process called mutage. So they're adding spirit into it to finish there. Obviously, it's a fairly high uh, uh, sweetness wine to begin with, but like, they call it sort of a demi mutage at the end to preserve it. It's then aged in concrete bags and bottled for two years um, and just shows a whole different um, soil type character, grape character, personality character, and this particular vineyard, the Way of Santana, is one of the highest vineyards in the entire Appalachian. So you could truly say you're at the mountaintop, you could say it's your favorite wine in the flight, I might add. And while this wine is a, an incredible wine, they're probably frankly more known for their dry wines than their sweet wines, but we just thought this would be a treat and a fun way to finish your tasting. So if you've had a chance to try it, Question was, do we know the sugar? About 200 grams per liter of sweetness. Anyway, a fun way to finish that. Um, and what I would suggest is twofold. I am going to give the liberty of the fact that Carolina deserves the full hour of what we were doing. We're a couple minutes short. If, if there are any, if there's one or two questions about Pumia, the wines, the wineries, we've excited you enough to go to Bar C over in the land room to go tell Carolina afterwards. Happy to answer them. Yeah, question over there. Absolutely. The question is, your, 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 um, Carolina, your, your question about indigenous or being uh, uh, native to the region. Did it come originally 
from Spain and was brought over to France, and they claimed it, or does it actually have found its way over from France into what was then Iberia at that time? No, it's actually from Spain, and then it went to to France. Actually, Morvedre is the ancient name of a city in the coast of Spain, very close to Jumilla, called Sagunto, and which uh, in the Middle Ages was called Morviedro. Okay, so this is like just the, the, the real history, the real history that it's truly Spanish, and then from the port traveled to the uh, Mediterranean area of France. Just like they did with Carignan, and just like they did with Garnacha. Well, you know the French. <laughs> what can we say about our French friends, anyway? One other question? Time for one other question? Anybody else? All right, well, if not, what I would ask you to do um, in, in, uh, in closing today, don't forget to fill out your two pieces of paper. Our team at the front will collect them on the way out the door. We have a team at the front collecting papers. Yes, I think we do. You want to be considered for that educational trip potentially down the road? Please do so. Uh, I would encourage you again to continue your study of Humia with uh, Carolina, who will have ample time to speak with you over at Bar C in the Lena room. I want to thank you for your time, for your attention. I hope you finished your wines, you finished your corneta. Um, if you can help us, help you help us by dumping whatever leftover wine that you haven't drunk into your spit cups, so I'll expedite our session for Cesare afterwards, and we will see you inside uh, the tasting afterwards. Um, thank you again for attending the Romeo Seminar. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Bud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kevins. Until next week, slancha. I want to let you go right now. Now.